episode of the Meet Kevin Show. Today, Peter Schiff is coming back. I believe this is now the fourth time that Peter uh, has taken the time to join us here and share his perspectives. Peter's uh, information and funds are linked in the description down below. But boy, oh boy, do I have questions for Peter Schiff now because I'll tell you, the last three times Peter Schiff has been here, uh, I've always been the bull. And, uh, and, and, and Peter's had, you know, kind of put me in check a little bit. You know, I'm like, Hey, we're going to the moon. We're going to the moon. Peter's put me in check a little bit. Now I've turned a little bit more bearish myself. Okay. I've, I've, y'all know I've, I've sold some stocks, sold, sold lots of stocks, uh, selling a little bit of real estate. Now, uh, now I want to talk to Peter because uh, macroeconomic climates are changing a little bit here. And it's time to talk to Peter to see what he thinks now that, uh, you know, we've, we've got some serious headwinds. So welcome aboard, Peter. Thank you so much for being back. Kevin, my pleasure. Thanks for inviting me back. And you know, I'm not bearish on everything. I'm bearish on certain things. You know, the motto of my firm, and I think Jim Cramer over at CNBC actually stole this from me, uh, but it, my, my, my motto was Europe Pacific Capital because there's a bull market somewhere. And, you know, <laughs> there may not be a bull market here. And, you know, I, I, I adopted that theme during uh, the earlier part of the 2000s, you know, after the, the, the NASDAQ bubble popped 2001, 2002, we were in a bear market for years and mm -hmm. I was trying to encourage my clients, hey, it, it may be a bear market here, but they got bull markets in other countries. And now, pretty much 20 years later, we're seeing the same dynamic unfold. I think we're at the beginning of a massive long-term bear market in U.S. stocks in general, in, hmm. in specifically the stocks that did the best over the last decade, the momentum stocks, the big tech, the fang names, uh, you know, anything related to, you know, these SPACs, all these recent IPOs, payments, you know, uh, cryptocurrencies or all these crazy kind of companies that don't make any money. You know, last year we actually set a record, not only in IPOs, but IPOs of money losing companies. Oh. These companies are going to crash and burn just like the dot coms did. But, you know, from beneath the ashes of, of, of those collapsing companies, you're going to see a lot of other stocks rise. And those are the stocks that I own. You know, the same types of stocks that did really well uh, from 2001 through, you know, 2008 and then into 2011. Those are the types of stocks that investors are just starting to buy now. Global value dividend payers, commodities, emerging markets, precious metals. These are where the bull markets are, and this is where investors should be uh, allocating their, their money. Now, Ray Dalio, uh, or at least Bridgewater Capital, so Ray Dalio's firm that he co-founded, recently released an investor letter and, and indicated that uh, right now in the U.S., you've got stock valuations still relatively high, and you've got uh, monetary and fiscal tightening, whereas in China, you have relatively low valuations and fiscal and monetary support. And so they're making this argument that, you know what, maybe, like you just mentioned, maybe U.S. stocks isn't the place to be. Their argument is China. What's your take on China? Well, I mean, I'm bullish on China, but there are a lot of other countries uh, that I'm also bullish on. It's not just a, you know, a choice between the United States and China. It's a big world out there. But the United States is very expensive. Even our legitimate companies, the ones that actually do have earnings and pay dividends, they're generally twice as expensive as a similarly situated company in Europe or Asia. So you get mm. much better valuations and investors are gonna be more focused on valuation now. I mean, that's one of the reasons that a lot of these stocks, like look at Facebook, you know, they came up with bad earnings, the stock drops 25% in one day. Uh, you know, same thing with a PayPal. It, it, because the valuations are so high, if you just miss expectations by a small amount, uh, you know, yeah. you're going to get completely clobbered in, in this market where we're starting to revalue stocks at lower multiples because we're no longer in this low inflation environment. We're in a high inflation environment. And what people still don't understand is that this high inflation environment is here to stay because mm -hmm. there's absolutely nothing the Fed is capable of doing about it. In fact, everything the Fed does is going to throw gasoline on the inflation fire. So Fed monetary policy is going to exacerbate the inflation that we're dealing with. I mean, even though they're talking about fighting inflation, they're not really going to fight it. They're going to keep stoking the flames, just they're going to you know, be less aggressive. 
what they're talking about doing is raising interest rates from zero, where they are now, up to maybe 1% by the end of this year, and maybe up to 2% by the end of next year. But these are still highly stimulative rates of interest. It, 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 it was in 2002 that the Fed slashed rates to 1% to stimulate the economy after you know, the NASDAQ bubble burst and after you know, we had the terrorist attacks in 9-11 and we, had, we started you know, the, the war on terror and all that stuff happened, we had a recession. And so Greenspan lowered rates to one to stimulate the economy. Now, Powell's saying, well, we're going to raise rates to one to sedate the economy. <laughs> I mean, it's, a, it, it, it's still low, and the Fed is still printing money. And the problem is the budget deficits have exploded. We're talking about maybe $3 yeah. trillion dollars a year now is what our annual budget deficit is. The only way to finance that is for the Fed to do more QE. So even though it's mm -hmm. talking about shrinking the balance sheet, it's not really going to happen. The balance sheet is going to keep expanding. But not only do we have this huge budget deficit, we have record trade deficits. Last year, we had the first ever merchandise trade deficit to exceed $1 trillion in a single year. And in the month of December, we hit a new record high. We had over a $100 billion deficit in December. And these deficits are going to skyrocket. Look at the price of oil, now $92, $93 a barrel, heading well above $100 a barrel this year. We're at net importing all that, a lot of oil. That further runs up the trade deficit. So there's no way to finance this. The Fed is going to be forced to print even more money. So while it's pretending it's going to take the punch bowl away, it's going to continue to spike it. But it's not going to be enough to sustain the asset bubble. So the change in monetary policy is a, a, a significant enough shift to prick the bubble in, in tech stocks and momentum stocks but it's not big enough to slow down inflation. So we're gonna have stagflation, we're gonna have a weak in the economy, rising inflation, and that is a very different investment landscape than the one investors have been used to over the past 10, 20 years. Yeah, it, it, so the thing about inflation, and I wanna ask you about this, is you know, if prices of, let's say, the Apple Pencil go from $100 to $110, we got 10% inflation, do you believe that companies have the pricing power to keep raising these prices to where that pencil goes to 115, 120, 125, and, and it actually just continues to go up? It wouldn't, would, is this not potentially just a one-time set of, that's it, the Apple Pencil went from 100 to 110, we had our 10% for a year, and now we go back to you know the one, two, three percent what Do you think that one to 2% interest is still so accommodative that we're actually going to still see seven plus percent prints on CPI? Yeah, well, because the cost of making those pencils is going to keep going up. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe 10% a year, maybe more. So the manufacturers are going to have to pass on those higher costs to their customers because they have to operate at a profit. So at a minimum, they have to pass on the costs. But what they end up doing is actually passing on more than the cost because you have to find yeah. a new equilibrium because yeah. every time the company raises prices, it does lose some buyers on the margin because we're all sensitive to price. I mean, if we weren't sensitive, the companies would just jack the prices even higher. The reason that there's a lid on prices is because companies are looking for the optimal price where they can sell the most amount of stuff and make the most amount of money. And so as you raise prices, you start losing some of your customers. So there's a sweet spot where you can have the maximum amount of profit. Well, that all changes when your costs go up. So when their costs go up, they have to find a new equilibrium where they can maximize their profits. But what happens are, is as you start raising your prices, you start losing some customers. And so now you, you, know, you have fewer customers to try to average out all your fixed costs. So the new equilibrium price where you can maximize your profits ends up being even higher than oh. just the increase of costs because you have to make up for the loss Love. of customers. Uh, so what happens in an inflationary environment is businesses keep selling fewer and fewer products at higher and higher prices. And those customers that can <laughs> afford the higher prices keep buying. And those that can't, well, they go without the products. Yeah, that's actually really interesting because uh, and it's something I haven't thought about, and, and I've read a lot of the earnings calls over the last uh, couple of weeks here in earnings season, and uh, every single company talks about how much pricing power they have and how the consumer's willing to pay these higher prices and that they're all raising prices. I mean, Panda Express, Starbucks, uh, GM, Ford, you know, they're, they're all raising prices. We, we know this. 
but what's what's fascinating about what you just said is when they raise prices, they're going to lose customers. So if they want to be able to beat revenues next year, they actually or next quarter, they actually have to raise prices a little bit more <laughs> beyond just the margin expectation because they want to offset uh, the the loss of customers. That's fascinating. I hadn't thought yeah, about and, that. Almost like the self-fulfilling. And here's inflation. the thing: last year, though, businesses didn't raise prices enough. That was the problem because mm. you had mm. the Fed chairman and all the economists were telling everybody, "Oh, don't worry about these rising costs. This yeah. is all transitory, right?" Yeah. And, and so the business owners believed the economists, and so mm. they absorbed these price hikes. Uh, in their own costs, because they didn't want to just raise their prices uh, if it was just you know a, a one-off thing. If it was just higher costs for a few months, they probably figured, you know what, we'll just eat that. Uh, you know, it's not worth uh, raising prices, uh, losing you know out to our competitors, uh, annoying our customers. You know, we'll just ride it out because it's you know it's temporary. But as we got to the end of the year. And now these companies look back, like look at, we just got the earnings on, on Friday for Clorox and Clorox Yuck. got killed like new down 10%, 52 week low. Why did it get beat up? Well, they missed, why they missed? Because their costs were up a lot. And obviously they didn't raise their prices nearly enough to, to, to cover the increase in costs. And so I think a lot of these businesses that were kind of conned into this false sense of complacency on mm. what was happening, now they have a lot of catching up to do. Not oh. only do they have to get ahead of the curve for 2022 sure. and start factoring in rising costs for 2022, but they got to catch up for all the lost ground from 2021. So they have to raise prices a lot. And that's one of the reasons I've been saying that rather than 2022 you know, CPI and, you know, number coming down from the 7% we got last year, yeah. 2022 is probably going to be higher. <laughs> We're going to go maybe yeah. from 7% to 10%. Oh, yeah. You know, people are going to freak out. If they freaked out at 7%, people are going to freak at 10%. So but what, what I want to know is what, when then do you think, because at some point consumers are going to stop paying these, these increased and elevated prices. What, what is that point? Is it when the consumers are out of money? Uh, it, it, when does that point come? Or do wages just rise to give people more ammo? Well, first of all, wages are rising. Uh, mm. The problem is they're not rising as much as prices, so right. people are running out of ammo. Yeah. But some people are not buying stuff. Look what's happened recently to car sales. I mean, car prices yes. have gone way up, and so car sales are coming down. I mean, people yeah. are buying fewer cars. Um, you know, it's happened in, in, in the, the real estate market. I mean, the prices went way up, and so fewer people can afford to, to buy them. So they're still trading, but you know, not as many people can afford to buy. Um, now, certain things like food, I mean, people are going to keep spending money on food, but they change, you know, what they buy, right? They don't buy as much steak. They buy more, you know, hamburger, right? So they're not eating as well as they would like to because they can't afford some of the stuff that they, they used to be able to afford. They have to, they have to trade down, uh, you know, and you're, it's going to happen across the board. Uh, people are going to buy cheaper stuff or, or less things. And it, it's probably already happening. It's just going to happen more uh, as uh, the inflation gets worse. In this case, would it make sense to buy companies that provide these, uh, the economical term, inferior goods, like maybe more Walmart stock, more Dollar General style stock? Yeah, well, Walmart, again, would not be, you know, number one on my list because Walmart's a, a pretty expensive stock as it is. And I think the volume of sales at, you know, is going to dry up. I mean, they sell a lot of more expensive things that have higher margins that I think will, be, will impact their, their sales. But you're right. You want to skew your portfolio to uh, stuff that people have to buy, not stuff that they buy because they want to, right? So people have to buy certain products, right? And, and, and so you've got much more pricing power if the consumer has to buy what you're selling versus a discretionary item that, you know, if he has any money left over, you know, he'll buy that. Uh, but, you know, but first he has to take care of what he needs before he can start buying, you know, what he wants. And so, yeah, and if you look at a lot of the stocks that, that we own for our customers, those are the companies. A lot of these consumer companies or utilities, you've got to pay your electric bill. You don't want to 
be in the dark. I mean, you can use less electricity. You can, you know, watch how many lights you leave on. You can adjust your thermostat, but you're going to buy electricity no matter what. You're not going to, you know, live in the dark, you know, and, 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 and use candles. So these companies are still going to, are, are still going to sell uh, energy, right? Your gasoline, People are still going to drive cars. They may not drive as often, but they're still going to drive. Maybe they're not going to take a, a long vacation, uh, or maybe they'll carpool, but you're still going to buy gas. So these oil companies are still going to make money. Uh, we have a lot of tobacco stocks. I mean, people are going to smoke. I mean, they may not even cut down on their smoking. They might have to cut back on their eating, some people, before they cut back on their smoking. Oh, wow. uh, but, you know, you, you buy these things that you know people are going to keep buying, and you can raise your prices. Your costs go up. You raise your prices, and you know make, and you can stay ahead, and you can you can pay mm -hmm. dividends. And absolutely, you have to be in companies that have a lot of pricing power. Now, you know there are a lot of these companies that have products. It's highly competitive. Like look at all these streaming stocks. I mean, one of the places people can easily cut back is just look yeah. how many streaming services are you going to buy, right? <laughs> Maybe you look back, and I've got six or seven of them. Yeah. You know, you're going to cut back on three or four of them, or maybe I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to take a streaming service, and I'm going to use it for a week or two. I'm going to watch what I want to watch. I'm going to, then, then I'm going to, you know, unsubscribe from that one, and I'll have Our one at a time until I you know watch the shows I want to watch. But you know, people are competing for the same you know group of customers, and these customers are dealing with higher food prices, higher you know higher gas prices, higher rent. So they got to cut back where they can cut back, you know, and, and, and I think too, a lot of these companies that they give away their products, right? Like the Facebooks, right? You don't pay money to have a Facebook account, but the problem is Facebook makes money from the advertisers. And if the advertisers aren't selling as much of their stuff because the people on Facebook can't afford to buy it, well, now the advertisers can't afford to advertise on Facebook anymore. Right. So Facebook's earnings go away, even though they're, they're giving away their product, the fact that their customers don't have the, the discretionary income, their real product, which is the advertising, they can't sell that. So there's a lot of these businesses that are going to be a lot of trouble uh, when mm. everybody is tightening their belts. So when, when folks start tightening their belts in an environment where we have high inflation, obviously this brings up fears of stagflation, which you have mentioned. I believe, and I want to hear your opinion on this, I think there's quite a big risk that we could end up having a negative uh, quarter or two of GDP, which that puts us into a technical recession or paper recession. Uh, is, is anything safe going into a recession other than cash? Well, cash isn't safe either. I mean, the problem is there's nothing that's truly safe. Everything has a certain degree of risk associated with it. And so what you have to do as an investor is decide which risks you want to take, right? What, what are you comfortable with and, and, and what, what risk do you want to avoid? Uh, because cash is not safe. If you have inflation at 7%, and of course, when the government admits it's 7%, it's 15%, you know, because the government lies, the numbers are cooked, right? The way they measure it, if we still measured inflation today, the way we measured it during the 1970s and 80s, last year would have been 15%. So it's just a big lie. So if it's 15% now, and I think it's gonna be 10% next year, that means it's 20% this year, right? So mm -hmm. you have this massive inflation, cash is losing value every single year. You don't, you don't get any interest in the bank to offset that. You put your money in the bank, you're making no interest, and it's losing 7, 10, 15, 20% of its purchasing power every year. That's a big loss. So there's no safety there. You can't buy bonds. Bonds aren't safe at all. What's the coupon on a bond? What's the interest? 1%, 2%, 3%? That's a, you're, you're still getting killed there. But the problem with bonds is let's say you buy a 10-year bond or 20-year bond, and you're, and you're getting 2 or 3% interest on that bond, and then interest rates really go up, the price of that bond crashes. So if you yeah. need to sell the bond because you need the money, you're not going to get par. You might, you might take a 20, 30, 40% loss on your bond. The only way you get your money back is if you hold it to maturity. But if maturity isn't for another 10 or 20 years, and inflation is 10% a year, by the time you get your money back, it's not worth anything. So there's a lot of risk in bonds. That's why you have to go into real things, real assets. Uh, what I mentioned at the beginning of, of, of what the podcast is, 
you know, dividend paying value stocks around the world, you know, stocks that are trading at like eight, nine, 10, 12, 14, 15 times earnings, stocks mm -hmm. that pay four, five, six, seven, eight percent dividends. Now, companies that are making money, paying dividends that you can own, the value of these businesses will rise uh, with inflation. The value of their goods that they own, uh, the value of their inventory, the value of their plant and equipment, uh, if they own resources, you know, those will become more valuable. They can raise their prices. So you have a hedge against inflation when you're in a stock and the dividend can go up. You know, within, you know the bond coupon is fixed. Whatever interest coupon you're getting, you're stuck with that, uh, no matter how high prices go. But your dividend can go up if you're owning a company that pays dividends because you need earnings to pay dividends. Um, but a lot of these other companies that don't have any earnings, I mean, they're going to have a lot of trouble staying in business because a lot of American companies have been able to stay in business because their real business is selling stock. They sell, mm -hmm. they sell stock to investors and then yep. they use that money to pay their expenses, uh, to pay salaries. Those days are coming to an end. I mean, a lot of people wow. in America are going to get unemployed, which is one of the reasons that we're going to have this stagflation, inflation and recession, because as a lot of these money losing companies go out of business, uh, all their employees are going to be out of work. Yeah. Is it, is it not possible that, I mean, because we've, we've seen commodities go through these cycles before, is it not possible that commodities just end up bubbling up and then, and then crashing back down? Or, or do you just have to adjust uh, when that time comes? Yeah, that is possible. But I think that's not going to happen for a long time. I okay. think they will bubble up at the end of the bull market. The mm. problem is, this is just the beginning. I mean, think about the oil market. Oil... Yeah topped out at $150 a barrel in the last bull market, and it topped out in 2008. It was the summer, July of 2008. The Fed funds rate was six and a quarter at that time. That's how high, six and a quarter. It's a quarter right now. It's 25 basis points. All right, look how much room we have to raise interest rates before yeah. we get to a point where oil might peak out. And also, the dollar index in, in the summer of 07 was about... 73. It's 95 now. So we had a much weaker dollar back then. We have almost $100 oil now with a strong dollar. So if you figure we're starting a cycle where the dollar is going to start falling and mm -hmm. interest rates are going to start rising, how high will interest rates get and how long will it take to get there and how low will the dollar be before oil peaks again? I mean, I think you could be looking at a $300 oil price before wow. you get another wow. big drop, you know, and, and, and so that, I mean, that's basically a triple from yeah. where we are now. Maybe it happens over the next several years, but if we got to, if we got to $150 a barrel in 2008, why couldn't we get to 300 by 2028, right? It's 20 years and you get a doubling in the oil price over 20 years from peak to peak can easily happen. But if that happens, I mean, you're not going to be able to get gas for less than $10 a gallon at, at a gas station. So, so now, what is that going to mean to the average American if it costs you $10 just to get a gallon of gas? I mean, we've, we've never had a recession uh, or we've never been over $100 in uh, a barrel in oil without a recession. <laughs> so I think there's probably the answer, huh? Yeah. And also, you know, we, we've never started a recession when the Fed was starting to raise rates. The recession may be starting right now. You know, the Atlanta Fed, their estimate for Q1 GDP is one-tenth of 1%. So it can wow. very easily be a negative number. But the Fed is just starting to raise rates. I mean, in fact, they haven't even raised them yet. They're just talking about raising them. And the economy is already going into recession. See, normally the economy doesn't go into recession until the Fed has already raised rates a lot. You know, normally the recession starts when interest rates are a positive number, a real number, meaning you have to get the rate of interest above the rate of inflation before we roll over to recession. Well, if the inflation rate is 7 we need to get interest rates at eight or nine. Well, I mean, we're not even anywhere close. So this is going to be the first time we're going to go into a recession where we have negative real interest rates. I mean, we're in a lot of trouble because how does the Fed normally fight recession? It cuts rates. Well, I mean, if, if we're practically at zero and the recession starts, there's not a lot of room to go. Right? And, and, you know, and if it, you, so we're, we're, in a, we're in a box that the Fed put us in. And I've been warning that this was going to happen for years because I was able to understand 
the consequences of what the Fed was doing. Every time they kicked the can down the road because they didn't want to deal with the problem, they made the problem worse. And now the problem is so big that there's no more road and we can't kick the can because we've got this 7% you know, inflation albatross around our necks because the only way they've been able to justify these 0% interest rates in QE was because inflation was below their 2% target. Well, how can you justify the same monetary policy when inflation is more than triple your 2% target? Oh, no kidding. How, why, why do you think this GDP uh, forecast here is, is so weak? Because right now, at least in earnings, we're seeing a lot of enthusiasm around uh, around earnings and people spending. Everybody seems like they're they're spending like crazy. I mean, people are buying boats and cars and jets and everybody's spending money on everything. Why would the Atlanta Fed estimate this low of a GDP? I mean, this was the consensus back in December. I mean, we've gone from a three and a half percent print to to basically nothing. Well, first of all, we had a big inventory build in the fourth quarter of last year. That was 71 percent of Q4 GDP was businesses stocking up on inventory. Now, why did they do that? I think it's because they're going to an inflationary uh, business model. See, before there was a lot of inflation, people didn't keep a lot of inventory. Businesses were lean and mean, just in time. You know, you yeah. ordered goods as you sold goods, right? You didn't, you didn't want to carry a lot of inventory. What was the point? Just buy it in the future, you know, when you needed it. But now, with prices rising so much, businesses want to invest in their inventory. Why wait to buy the products? They're just going to be more expensive. Let me buy them right now. And also, another thing that's happening is that supply chains are you know, broken down and delivery times are extended. And so companies are like, look, let me get this stuff and have it because that way at least I can sell it because I don't, I won't, I don't know if I can get it in the future. So businesses are now moving back towards holding inventory, which is something they used to do. I mean, it was normal for companies to have more inventory. And so now we're getting back to that environment. And so what happened is these businesses just bought a lot of inventory that maybe they would have bought throughout 2022, and they just bought it all at the end of 2021. Yeah. So that means right. the businesses aren't going to be spending that money uh, in Q1 and Q2 and Q3. So we, we moved forward a lot of that GDP growth to the, the fourth quarter of last year. And, and then also the trade numbers are exploding. These trade deficits are just horrific. They subtract from GDP, right? All, all these trade deficits reduce our GDP. So if we're gonna have much bigger trade deficits, we have to subtract a much larger number uh, from the GDP. And so I think inflation is taking a toll on spending. I mean, you're talking about people yeah. are spending more, but in many cases, they're not buying more. They're just paying more. So they're spending more because the prices have gone up. Because these mm -hmm. consumer spending numbers and retail sales, they're not adjusted for inflation. They're just looking at how much we're spending, not what we're buying. So wouldn't an inventory – Well, so, so two things about inventory. More inventory to me suggests that we, we could have deflationary figures because they might want to lower prices. Yeah, to, you, to, know, you know, a, a lot of people think, oh, the businesses are going to dump this inventory. No, they're right. not. They didn't load up on it to dump it. They loaded up on it to have it. And what they're going to do is they're going to mark it up and they're going to sell it slowly. And, and here's how I think businesses are going to price. They're not going to price off of their original cost. They're going to price um, based on their expected replacement cost. So let's say I'm a, you know, I'm a company and you know, I, I sell widgets, right? Widgets is just a made up word for a, sure. a, a fictitious product, right? From economics. So I sell widgets. So let's say I bought a bunch of widgets at $10 a piece and I have a 50% markup. So I buy for $10 and I retail and I sell for 15, right? So I bought a bunch of widgets for $10. But let's say I start selling my widgets at $15. Then all of a sudden yeah. the wholesale price of widgets jumps up to $20. They double from 10 to 20. I'm not going to continue to sell my widgets at $15, even though I bought them at 10, because if I sell it at 15 and now I have to buy one back, I'm going to pay 20, yeah. right? So now I'm just going to start selling my widgets for 30 because that's 50% above my replacement cost, which is 20. And so this is how businesses are going to operate. They're going to start sell, marking up based on replacement. They're going to hold their inventory. They're going to sell it slowly. They're not just going to dump it on the market. Uh, at a low price when it's going to be so expensive to buy it back. 
So mm -hmm. I, I don't expect this mass liquidation of stuff. I think businesses are buying this stuff because they, they need it to operate. They want the inventory and they are making an investment in their inventory. Yeah, I mean, really suggesting that uh, a built-up inventory is going to lead to plummeting prices is really suggesting that supply chains are perfect again, and we're going back to just-in-time inventory, essentially, right? Yeah, I mean, and, and you'd have to make a, a bet that all these guys that are loading up on inventory, you know, as soon as they get it, they're just going to dump it all. Like, wh why yeah. did they buy all that inventory if they're just going to dump it? Um, and, and if that was the case, then all these companies would lose a ton of money, right? They would buy all this stuff and then sell mm. it at a loss. Yeah. Um, so so I, I don't think that's what's going on. And I think they waited all year. I mean, to, to start buying, because, again, mm. they they were hoping it was all transitory. They, right, they believe right. the economists. And now, you know, Powell finally comes out and says, OK, you know, it's not transitory. Uh, and now the businesses are like, you know, now you tell me, you know, and now they got to hurry up and, and, and start doing something. Because I you know, I mean. In my life, everything I want to buy, and I'm in Puerto Rico, so it's even worse, but it takes forever to get stuff. I mean, right. months and months and months. You just have to wait because nobody has anything. Is it possible that uh, a lot of this extra inventory that we saw in Q4 GDP is, is in transit? That, uh, you know, be, like you say, it's taking so long to get. Uh, maybe, maybe this is not inventory on shelves yet. It's sitting on a ship somewhere or in a container in a warehouse somewhere. Yeah, that I don't know how much of the inventory spend has actually been delivered. You know, we know there's massive delays and every, there's bottlenecks at the ports. Um, so, yeah, I don't know. But I think, you know, they place these big orders and now they're going to sit on their inventory and, you know, they're going to sell it at higher prices. And of course, as they mark their inventory up, you know, it's not going to move as fast because people are going to be priced out of the market. Mm. And what I think a lot of these businesses are going to have to do is downsize their overall operation to be profitable at a smaller scale, right? Because if you're forced to really raise your prices and you're going to have fewer customers, well, you don't need as much customer support. You don't need as much of a overhead, right? If you have a smaller group of customers that are utilizing your business. So everybody has to scale down and that means layoffs. That means, mm -hmm. uh, you know, some, some, maybe some of my office space or some of my warehouse space or my retail space, I don't need as much. And so now there's, uh, you know, stuff, you know, for rent and, you know, the, the, the economy goes into recession as everybody downsizes to survive in a world where you don't sell as much stuff because everything you're selling is more expensive. Right, right, exactly. So what what do you think then, if, if we're on this path and companies feel they have so much pricing power, they're raising prices, we're gonna see this continued inflation, what do you think the odds of a recession are and when is this happening? Well, I think, I think the odds of a recession are 100%, right? I mean, the question is, when does it start, right? Because, you know, we're always going to have one, right? So okay. when is the next recession going to come? But, you know, I, I don't really believe the government numbers anyway, because when they lie about inflation, they also lie about inflation in the GDP, because there's a, something called a deflator. And the government takes the nominal GDP, which is how much prices went up, and then they adjust it by what they claim inflation is. So let's say, you know, nominal GDP, the prices were up 6%, but inflation, they say was 4%, then they end up with 2% GDP, right? But what if inflation wasn't 4%? What if it was 8%, but they pretended it was 4%? Mm -hmm. That means that if they used an honest inflation rate, we would have a negative 2%. We would be in contraction. But because they pretend that inflation is only 4% when it's really 8%, it looks like the economy grew by 2%, even though it contracted by 2%. So we're, we're, but we're going to get a recession, you know, even the way the government scores it. But of course, it's actually going to be a lot worse than what they admit to. And it may be that the government still pretends the economy is growing, but it will feel like a recession because it is. Yeah. And, and how do you, I mean, that, that also begs the question of like, what happens if we go into a recession and then people look to Jerome Powell to bail us out and then there's no Jerome yeah. Powell U-turn? Well, do, do you think they have a capacity to, to U-turn and, and help prevent a recession or bail well, one out? Well, that's the problem. See, this is the, the, the uh, Pandora's, not the Pandora's box, but you know, the catch-22 uh, that uh, the Fed is in where they're damned if they do and damned if they don't because their normal policy response 
to a recession is to stimulate demand, right? Mm -hmm. Print money, create inflation, uh, you know, bigger deficits, more government spending, tax cuts, right? A Keynesian pump priming stimulus. Well, right. you can't do that when you have inflation because the way to fight inflation is the opposite of that. You have to shrink the money supply. You have to curtail uh, demand, right? Uh, you have to slow the economy, right? You don't want to pump it up. You want to slow it down. So what happens when you have both of those problems simultaneously? You have a weak economy, recession, but you have inflation, right? It doesn't work anymore. Yeah. Uh, and, 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 and that is the problem. And, you know, while I remember this, too, I, I, I meant to make this point when we were talking about inventories. I just occurred to me. But also, customers, just like businesses are stocking up, so are their customers. Mm -hmm. I mean, I don't know about you, but I don't buy one of anything. I mean, if, if I'm going to buy toothpaste, I'm going to buy a dozen tubes, right? Sure. Deodorant, shampoo, razor blades. I mean, last time I bought razor blades, I bought like 40 of them. And I don't even shave that much because I, I just, you know, but I, I, I didn't know like if I'd be able to get them in the future. I mean, if you go through our house, you know, you will open up a closet. It's like a, it's like a you know, a drugstore. There's so much stuff there. It just goes, I got everything we need. We got all vitamins. I got, we get everything. And then we buy in huge bulk quantities of, of whatever doesn't, uh, uh, you, know, uh, you know, get bad over time, whatever's non-perishable. You know, batteries. I mean, we've got drawers and drawers of batteries. You know, mm -hmm. I mean, so I think a lot of other people are going to do the same thing. They're not just going to buy one thing. You know, because if, if you're an average person, right, you're not making an investment, right? You're not, you know, investing in the stock market with me. You're just going to the supermarket, right, with your, your paycheck. But, you know, let's say you normally shop for the week and, and, you, and you keep some money in the bank, you know, a little bit of savings. But if you notice that every time you go to the store, stuff is 3% more, 4%, 5% more. It's like, well, you know, why not buy extra cereal boxes right now. You know, why not buy some extra rice or extra can of soup? I mean, why come back in the future and pay the higher price? I'll just invest in my own inventory. I'll buy the things I'm going to need in the future and I'll buy it right now. And if I buy, you know, you know, a, a package of rice and that same package of rice is 20% more expensive at the end of the year, but I <laughs> bought it a year earlier, that's like a 20% gain on a stock. You make us, you saved, you know, you made 20% on that rice. You were going to buy it, but you bought it cheaper because if I just left my cash in the bank, I couldn't afford to buy it anymore. I have to get an extra 20%. Uh, and so I'll, I think a lot of the inventory might end up getting sold quicker because consumers are doing what I'm doing. They, you know, they're just saying, hey, I'm not going to wait to buy. I'm just going to stock up you know, mm -hmm. and buy what I can. And, and, and there's two reasons to do that, not just because it might be more expensive in the future, but what I think might happen before, probably not before the midterms, but before the general election, although it could happen before the midterms, is that inflation is going to be so bad and there's going to be nothing that's politically acceptable that the Fed could do about it, that they're going to do what's really unthinkable is price controls. Oof. They're going to basically say, you know what? The reason prices are going up is because the farmers are greedy. Those big businesses the, are, are, are greedy. The supermarkets are greedy. The, 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 the food distributors, everybody is greedy and gouging the consumer. So the government's going to say, no more price hikes. We're going to have price controls. And we're not going to let these greedy companies rip off their customers anymore. Right? So this is what happens. But now the minute you get price controls, what happens? Well, there's shortages. The, the stuff's just not there anymore. So one of the reasons to buy the stuff now is that you may not be able to get it. Now, maybe they'll ration it. Maybe you know, you'll have a long line. You'll have to wait in line for a couple of hours to get a small quantity of stuff. Now, the other way you get stuff in an, in a, in an environment of price controls is illegally. You go to the mm -hmm. black market. And of course, there's going to be stiff penalties for people, right? These traders, these price gougers, you know, who are operating in the black market. But if you actually want to get something, that's going to be the only way to really get it uh, is, is in the black market. Uh, but of course, all those transactions will probably be in cash because they'll all be illegal. Uh, but you can't hold cash. So that's why I tell people to buy silver coins, you know, buy one ounce silver rounds or, you know, junk silver. Because when you want to make a transaction that nobody knows about, that's how you're going to have to do it. You can't illegally sell stuff on a credit card. 
you know. Uh, and so you have to have some means of, uh, of engaging in commerce in the black market, which I think is coming, unfortunately. And, and, and you don't think that might be crypto? No, because A, you can track crypto, right? I mean, it's on the internet. I mean, the government can, can see people uh, transacting in, uh, in cryptocurrency. But also, I mean, cryptocurrencies are very volatile. They can crash. They don't have any real value. I mean, if I'm a merchant and I'm selling goods, I mean, do I really want to get paid in Bitcoin? I mean, what happens if while I'm holding my Bitcoin, it drops 20 or 30%? I, I don't want to do that. I mean, I'd rather get paid, let's say, in silver or gold, something that I know it might you know, hold on to its value, uh, have something real in my hand uh, that, I, that I can exchange. Uh, so, yeah, no, I, I, I don't see crypto actually serving that function. I mean, it's, it, it, people are buying it as a speculation, but I don't see it functioning as a medium of exchange store of value. Now, last time we had price control, well, I mean, we've had price controls many times, but we had price controls in 1951 after the Korean War. That ended up just delaying a recession that we got two years later. We had price controls that were lifted uh, in the late 60s, and that led to essentially the recession of the early 70s when we had this rampant inflation and then we left the gold standard and this disaster. Nothing good comes of price controls. But the question I have for you is you mentioned politics. How much do you think the Fed is influenced by politics uh, this particular year? And is it going to stop them from doing what they need to do to get inflation under control? Well, they are 100% influenced by politics. They are extremely political. And they're always trying to appease whatever party controls the White House. Mm. Because that's, that's who appoints them, right? They're always appointed Their by job. the president. Mm. Um, and they're also, in a way, trying to appease all the incumbents, they kind of want everybody to get reelected. I mean, that's how they play ball. And so that's why they pursue the policies that they, that they do. They're, they're never looking to do what's in the long-term best interest of the country, which is what they should be doing. That's the whole theory about the Fed being apolitical, right, being independent, because it can act in the long-term interest of the nation and sacrifice you know, what might be expedient in the short run, but they never do that. Everything the Fed does is, oh, we have a recession, we have to stimulate. Well, what if the recession is exactly what the economy needs? What if it's the cure that's gonna make us better? It's the bitter tasting medicine that we need to swallow, right? Because the economy is yeah. sick and the recession is the medicine. Because what happens is you get these artificial booms and unfortunately the Fed is the creator of these booms but during the booms, you have all this malinvestment. You have capital uh, misallocated, resources misallocated. Uh, and every, we're making all sorts of mistakes during this bubble. But nobody cares about the mistakes because everybody thinks they're getting rich. But then the bubble pops and we realize how many mistakes we made. And now the economy has to be rebalanced uh, in a viable way again. Resources have to be reallocated. People have to lose jobs in certain sectors so they can get jobs in other sectors. Capital has to be reallocated from the bubble area to where it can be used more efficiently. In other words, we have to stop funding money losing companies that make things that nobody needs. And we have to mm. free up that capital to start producing the, the real goods that we do need. You know, we're running a huge trade deficit because we're not making enough of the stuff that Americans actually need. We're wasting our resources making stuff nobody needs, right? Because it's all part of the bubble. So all of the mistakes get corrected during the recession. But when the Federal Reserve comes in and tries to mitigate that recession and cut it short, what it's actually doing is stopping the economy from healing. The free market is trying to fix what the Federal Reserve broke during the bubble. And then the Fed comes in and prevents it. It's like you, you, you have this big, you know, you're, you're high on drugs and, you know, you, okay, I check into rehab and I start, stop taking drugs. And now like I, I'm, I'm, my body is like starting to have convulsions. I'm, you know, I'm going detox. And then the Fed comes in and just gives you a bunch of drugs. So you'll make you feel better. Right. Mm -hmm. And interferes with this process, you know? Right. And so now you're high as a kite again and you're doing stupid things. And, and that's what the Fed keeps doing because the voters, you know, when, when they're in detox, they're not reelecting the guys that, that put them there, right? So they're always trying to get the voters to feel good and give them more drugs so they'll reelect uh, the guys in power. And, and so it's, but they're not gonna be able to do that. They're gonna try, they're never gonna stop trying. The only reason Powell is talking about raising rates is because he thinks he can do it. 
without hurting the economy. He thinks mm -hmm. he can do it without uh, causing a recession. He's wrong. I mean, just like he was wrong about inflation being transitory, right. just like the Fed was wrong when they said the subprime problem was contained, the Fed <laughs> is wrong about everything. And so you they're know, why, wrong about this. Why does it seem like uh, so many things sound so similar to 2006-ish right now where we hear a lot of folks saying things like, we're coming in for a soft landing. <laughs> Everything's going to chill out and it'll all be okay. It's like somebody playing the violin on the Titanic. Is, is that too extreme of an analogy? Yeah. No, when they, when they talk about soft landing, grab your crash helmet because it's never a soft landing. You know, they, I mean, th th this thing ain't going to land, right? It, there's no way to land it. So it's just a question of where it crashes and, and, and mm -hmm. how. Uh, but, you know, there, again, you don't have to stay on the plane. That's the thing. You, you can, you, I'm helping people get off, and, and, and so they don't have to worry about whether it's a soft landing or a crash landing. Just get off, right? And, you know, or, you know I, mean, I call it like the Titanic. You know, we're, we're going down on the Titanic, but I got these lifeboats, so, you know, hop on board. Because I think if you're in good, solid companies, foreign companies, uh, in countries that are in much better fiscal shape than the United States, countries that run surpluses instead of deficits when it comes to trade, uh, where they're not you know, as loaded up with debt, where their people save more and actually produce more. Uh, these these, these uh, will be relative safe havens. There are good companies in those countries uh, that you can buy at fair or cheap valuations historically, get good dividends, and you know, load up on the things that work in inflationary environment. Look at the oil stocks. You know, we've been overweight oil. We added to our oil stocks uh, last year when you know when oil went negative, but you know they were giving these oil stocks away. But oil stocks are going to do very well in an inflationary environment. So will agricultural stocks. So will industrial material stocks. But also emerging markets. They do very well uh, when the dollar is weak and, and the U.S. market is weak. I mean, look look how well they did. Uh, in the 2000s, when the U.S. market was getting killed. I mean, people were making money like crazy in emerging markets. They were making tons of money in oil and, and gold and agriculture. So all that stuff is going to work again. I think it's going to work even better this time because we're going to have an even bigger round of inflation, and there's no way to stop it. I mean, think about what it took to stop inflation in the 70s because the last time inflation was this bad, it was the 1970s, right? Even if you accept the government's methodology, it's, you still got to go back to the 70s. So right. how did we stop inflation in the 70s? The uh, Fed funds rate or discount rate went up to 20%. Now, the highest the CPI ever got was 1980. It was up 13.5% in one year. So the Federal Reserve moved interest rates 6.5 percentage points above the inflation rate to Jeez. get inflation under control. So if inflation is 7% now, we'd have to go up to 13.5% to have the same distance. Except mm -hmm. inflation isn't 7%, it's 15 if we measured it the way we did in 1980, you know, which means we have to take interest rates up to 20% again, which is impossible. I mean, but, we but couldn't the, even get the them. the thesis is that uh, the supply chains will get better and then prices can stabilize. Maybe not necessarily <laughs> come down, but stabilize. And then inflation's flat. It, wouldn't that be the case? No, I mean, it's look. It's not the supply chains that are the big problem. It's the demand. The demand is coming from money printing. You know, I was one of the few people early in the pandemic, at the very beginning in March of 2020, when everybody was talking deflation, I was on my podcast saying this is the most inflationary uh, situation that you can imagine. Because on the one hand, we are sending people home from work. So people aren't showing up at work. So they're not producing goods and services. So the supply of goods and services is going down. But instead of demand going down, which would normally happen if people didn't have jobs, so they, they wouldn't be able to buy stuff, the government made the mistake of sending people money who no longer had jobs so they can keep spending. In fact, we, we made the even bigger mistake of giving people more money after they lost their jobs than what they used to earn when they still had jobs. That's so, true. So we had the supply of goods and services going down, yet demand was exploding through the roof for the goods and services that we weren't even producing. So it was a function of all this new demand that was the problem. In fact, America has never imported more stuff 
than it imported last year, right? So more stuff came into this hmm. country in 2021 than in any prior year. So we got all this stuff that the stuff isn't the problem. We got too much money chasing that stuff. Too, much, too many people got money for not producing. And so prices are going up. And yes, there is a problem with the supply chains, but probably because we overwhelmed them with demand, right? I mean, I, I talk about it on my podcast, but let's say the government gave everybody a million dollars, right? Just printed it up, sent everybody a check for a million dollars. And now everybody has a million dollars, and so they all call up the Ferrari dealer, and they, everybody wants to buy a new Ferrari. Well, I mean, how many Ferraris can they make a year? They're going to say, oh, well, you know, Ferrari prices are going to skyrocket, and they're going to say, well, it's a supply bar problem. It's a bottleneck. There's not enough Ferraris for everybody. Of course not. It takes a long time to make these cars, right? You just can't, you know, you know produce them like, like magic. So whenever governments print a lot of money, they always blame the problem on supply, you know, but... The government can't print supply. The government can't print stuff. They can print money and give everybody money. But the money doesn't have any value unless we produce stuff first. Mm -hmm. And that's what people don't understand. They think the money has value. If I only had more money, we'd all be rich. No, we have to produce more stuff for us all to be rich. If we just all have more money, then all the stuff just costs more. We, you cannot print yourself uh, in, in, into prosperity. You print money, not you considering get now, not considering the uh, the rest of the child tax credit that's coming, which comes as a refundable tax credit to folks, is basically another stimulus check coming in the next few months for for millions of families. Outside of that, this, we're running out of stimulus. No, no more unemployment boost. The forbearances are ending. The child tax credit's over. Build Back Better didn't pass. Uh, you know, who knows? Maybe we'll get a piece. Maybe we won't before the midterms. Let's assume we won't. It sounds to me like the fiscal stimulus is ending. So no, at some point, ending. people got to stop spending. No, no, it's not ending. I mean, the additional stimulus, but the mm -hmm. government is running about a $3 trillion a year budget deficit. That's mm -hmm. stimulus. I mean, think about mm -hmm. all the people who retired in the last couple of years, right? right? These are people who used to pay Social Security taxes, and now they're collecting Social Security benefits, right? So these people aren't working anymore but now they're getting money to spend, right? That's mm -hmm. all stimulus. True. And a lot of people retired early because yeah. of COVID and they're collecting, you know, so, so you have this bigger gap now between what the government collects in social security taxes and what mm -hmm. it's paying in social security benefits. So that stimulus is there. I mean, and then you have yeah. all the other government entitlements. And what about now these cost of living increases? Everybody on social security is going to get a big increase because of the CPI, Where's the tax increase to support that? It's not there. So there is a lot of stimulus already baked in the cake, even if we don't get extra. So all that stimulus is inflation because it's all funded by money printing. That's a very good point. So uh, I mean, maybe it won't be as much, but you're right. You still have these stimulative uh, aspects. So, so you believe whether it's uh, poor individuals, uh, maybe, maybe, maybe they don't need to spend as much. Maybe people with more money just keep spending. You think either way, though, the net average is people are going to continue to demand, continue to spend more unless there's some form of reason for them to stop spending, like maybe the fear of a recession. Is that right? Well, what we need, what we need are, here's what we need. We need significant tax hikes on the middle class. Okay. That's not going to happen. No. We need significant government spending cuts. No. That ain't going to happen. I mean, even Trump didn't cut any government spending. So we're certainly not going to get any spending cuts out of Biden. Um, we need the Fed to go to a tight monetary policy, which means re real positive real interest rates. The Fed has to get the, the interest rate above the inflation rate. Or the Fed has to start shrinking the money supply, start withdrawing all the liquidity that they supply. They're not doing any of that. You know, all they're talking about is pursuing a less loose monetary policy than the loose monetary policy they pursued in the past. So if you pour less gasoline on the fire, that doesn't mean the fire goes out, right? You're still, you're still fueling it. Uh, so I don't see any type of policies that would reduce the inflation. And, mm. and so the inflation is just going to continue. But when it's going to get really bad is when the dollar finally caves in. Because the dollar is still strong relative to other currencies. Now, it's not strong in the sense that, you know, its purchasing power is, 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 you know, is, is not falling. It is. 
So the dollar and all currencies, because inflation is not just happening here. Look at, in Europe, they just had the worst inflation in 20, 30 years. They had over 5% CPI gain uh, in the Eurozone in uh, 2021. Uh, so everybody is dealing with a rising cost of living. The purchasing power of every fiat currency is, is going down. But on a relative basis, the dollar has held up because people have had confidence in the US. They've had confidence in the Fed. They believe that the Fed has inflation under control, that it was transitory. And for years, the Fed was saying, well, if we're wrong, if inflation is ever higher than we thought, well, we can easily rein it back in. We've got the tools. We'll, we, know, we'll, we know how to deal with high inflation. And I kept saying, that's nonsense. They don't have the tools. I mean, if they have the tools, they can't use them because you know, they would destroy the bubble economy that they'd been inflating over the years. And when the markets realize that the Fed was all bark and no bite when it comes to inflation fighting, that inflation is going to continue to erode away the value of the dollar, nobody is going to want to own dollars. Nobody is going to want to own a 10-year treasury at 2%, and they're not even at 2 they're like 1.9. But even if the 10-year went to 3% or 4%, if inflation is 10%, you're not going to want that low-yielding treasury. There's going to be no demand for U.S. bonds. The dollar is going to crash. And now the Fed is going to have to print even more dollars to buy even more bonds that everybody is selling to prevent rates from rising. Because here's the other predicament. The U.S. government is insolvent. And the only way that we can at least service the $30 trillion national debt is if the Fed has interest rates at zero. But if the Fed has to raise interest rates to fight inflation, the government can no longer afford to pay the interest on the money it borrowed. So now what is it going to do? It either has to default on the treasuries or it has to significantly increase taxes or cut spending, neither of which it's going to do. So we're do you in think an impossible they could sell situation. Bonds? Huh? You think they could sell bonds to finance their rate, kind of like borrow to pay their bonds? No, you can't do that because not, but they have to pay even higher interest on right, those right, bonds. Right. And, right. and nobody wants the bonds they've got. I mean, we, we've been able to get away with this for a long time because nobody cared, right? Nobody worried that, we could, that if we could repay the money, nobody cared about inflation. But the minute the markets care, and you have all kinds of countries that have gotten into trouble, right, that borrow too much money, you know, whether it's Greece, or Argentina, you know, you, you look at these examples, you know, uh, here I'm in Puerto Rico, right? For years and years, the Puerto Rican government was borrowing all this money, and nobody cared that they couldn't pay it back. And they mm -hmm. kept borrowing and going into debt until finally somebody cares and then they go bankrupt. I mean, because, you know, mm. so this is what happens. I mean, it's not a problem until it's a problem. Of course, it is a problem. It's just that nobody cares about it. And so they let the problem get worse until it's a crisis. And that's what we're going to have. We're going to have a debt crisis, sovereign debt currency crisis, because oh. I think when the, they have to choose between inflation and default, they're going to choose inflation. You know, and, and, and so people are going to get paid what they're owed. It's just the money they get paid in won't buy very much. So the losses are in purchasing power. You get your money, but your money doesn't have any purchasing power. So what good is money that doesn't buy anything? Now, what, what, what do you think about the potential that inflation might be reduced via a shift of spending from goods to more services? Well, first of all, services prices are up a lot, too. They're up a lot more than, than 2%. And, you know, a lot of people that provide services, they need raises because all the goods that they consume are getting a lot more expensive, right? So, the, right. you know, the guy that cuts your hair, you know, he needs, he needs, he, he needs a raise because, you know, he's got to feed his family. So, I mean, a lot of the people that provide services are going to be getting uh, wage hikes. Uh, and maybe they won't be enough to fully offset the increase in the cost of living, but it will cause you know, higher prices for, for services. Uh, so I think the idea that the reason we have inflation is because everybody is buying goods instead of services, mm. I think that's wrong. I think when people start buying services more, those services costs are going to skyrocket. I mean, try to find the people. You know, I, I just got a, a, a letter from the pool company that takes care of my, uh, my house in Connecticut. And the letter I got said that due to the labor shortage, we're not going to have enough money to service the pools that we normally service. So we're just going to have to have a first come, first serve basis. And we're going to have to cut, cut off, you know, so, you know, and, I'm, you know, so if they actually needed to service everybody's pool, 
because yeah. they, they, they would actually have to really jack up what they're paying people to start you know, cleaning pools again. I mean, I don't know what it is, why they can't find people to clean pools. I mean, they've been able to find people to clean pools all these years. Yeah. And all of a sudden it's like, oh, there's nobody there. Uh, you know, we, we, you know, we can't do it. So hmm. I, I just think that when demand for services come back, you're going to be surprised at the degree to which service costs really start to go up. But yeah. over the long run, I think goods prices will rise much faster than